you amaze me the fact that like we're all fucking musicians and none of us and like spent, spent hundreds and hundreds of hours recording things this, way more complicated than this and it's like this, huh, huh i don't know every week it's a new fucking problem a new <laughs> yeah i've i've kind of wondered that too like come on guys you should you you, you should be able to do this yeah i mean but i we, can maybe we can't use this fucking focus right thing despite not knowing anything about anything. Well, what what is the issue? What can we figure out? I you know, it's just is the whole podcast just going to be this? <laughs> are, are we recording? Cause this, yeah, is, this is gold. This is this, this, the, 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 the podcast. Can you hear me? Yeah. Just for now. How about now? Avant podcasting, man. It's the it future. It just goes silent for five minutes while he looks for an adapter. Tonight's podcast is all about troubleshooting. Hope you guys strap in. <laughs> special let's oh, yes. do it let's do it i don't see my signal at all barely. uh you're barely in there i can i can pull you up a little bit how you how are you yeah doing? hello uh, that's better We're what back. is there like a top 10 controversies of techno Ooh, that would get a lot of clicks yeah totally do that yeah all right let's generate some content boys and right. girls top everyone's top 10 techno twitter uh episodes of 2019 the the year um, recap episode. What what brought us joy and misery this year? <laughs> what brought life? Brought this our lives meaning? I don't, I don't read Twitter. <laughs> Everyone talking. About virtue you, signaling. You you can still you can still. Oh, that's yeah, what that's that is. That's what that one. is. True. No, I mean Chris. Virtue right, signaling right. about <laughs> not reading Twitter. I am too good for Twitter. You're Asshole. right. That's that's actually quite high level. <laughs> See, this you. is what I'm saying, Brian. When I said we don't prepare. <laughs> um, and then said that we probably should, but we have never prepared. So. Oh, no, no, no. No outline of subjects you want to cover. Especially lately. It just hasn't been high priority. Yeah, so it's been I think very we just have to start form. spewing yeah. some shit. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. so you went on a very interesting trip recently um, and uh, to Staten Island. Yes. So I've been on a couple trips to Staten Island recently yeah. because I just uh, purchased a car. It's the first car I've had. What's the make and model? Oh, yay. It's um. What's the blue book value? The <laughs> it's a Mitsubishi Mirage from 2014, and um. What kind of car is it? Is it uh? It's a little. It's a little hatchback. Hybrid hatchback at back is that yeah. What they call it's them? it's Hybrids? uh it's very small. I was borrowing it from my friend, or more car sitting than borrowing it from my friend while she was at Labyrinth Festival in Japan, hmm. which I've done a I've done this a lot for friends who are at Labyrinth in Japan car sit for them. And in the past, <laughs> it's been a horrible experience because everybody's cars were far too big to park in New York City. Uh-oh. And then I got this car. Which is very small and easy to park, and I fell in love with it. And then I bought You're it from like, her. Can I buy it? Yeah, please? because it's like I've I've had this thing for over a month now, and I've never had a problem parking it anywhere ever. That's crazy. Damn. So that that was the that main thing insane. keeping me from getting a car. So, anyways, I got this car because I was spending an obscene amount of money uh, on 
Ubers and Lyfts for the artists who play my party, getting them to and from my house and the venue. Um, and I figured the money I spent on this car, I would save on just... Pays for itself. Yeah, yeah, easily. So um, if I'm doing all these trips to the airport, which take a really long time, especially going to Newark, and a lot of DJs fly into Newark because they're on that whole... What is it? Miles and Smiles? United, Lufthansa, Lufthansa. That whole thing. And Newark is the hub for that. So I was like, fuck, how am I going to make... There has to be some reward. $100 to get there. Yeah. There has to be some reward other than saving the money because all the time I'm spending going back and forth to Newark. So... The reward is a trip over the Verrazano to Staten Island to get some uh, pizza on the way. To get some pizza on the way is so far has been the reward and it's been... Yeah, it's been fantastic. It's the gift that keeps giving. Yeah. Yeah. So you went to uh, personal favorite Lee's Tavern most recently. That was, yeah, I was just at Lee's Tavern when I took Aganis to Newark just a couple nights ago. Uh, did you go with him en route or did you drop him off? He, and, and I did. I should, have gi- I should have given him a heads up because he ate a bunch of sushi right before we left. So he, he mm. didn't want to go. Um. But he had seen the picture of Nobu from Danino's. And when I told him I was stopping in Staten Island for pizza, he seemed he seemed a little disappointed yeah. that he wasn't oh, gonna be no. that he wasn't gonna be a part of that. So I did yeah. it on the way home. So now now I that's you know, I'm I'm learning. This is new. Right, I just right. got the car. I've gotta start, you know, when I'm picking somebody up, I gotta tell them before they get on the plane, like don't don't eat the crappy plane food. Right, right. We're gonna get amazing pizza yeah. or people who I'm taking to the airport don't eat lunch today because we're gonna right we're gonna get wait so there's good pizza on Staten Island oh it's yeah it's I I I mean it makes sense but I'd never I'd I'd heard of this pizza but I never well if I I was ever on Staten Island I wasn't yeah I wasn't driving I didn't have time I don't know and it was actually Chris who uh is a bit of a Staten Island pizza connoisseur so I got some. Staten Island is, is where all the cops live, right? It, totally. <laughs> That's why it I'm is a, a pizza connoisseur. It's a major, <laughs> major cop zone. Blue they, lives. They pretty, much, they pretty much all live there. <laughs> well, there. And, and, lo- and Long, Long Island. Island. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, great pizza. Um, tell me a little bit about your experience with Lee's Tower. Because that, that, to me, Lee's is kind of one of the very particular. Pizza Why? What's places? so good about it's it? A, it's deal? a well. First of all, the place it's a vibe. Like the it's place is is it's it feels like it's in the middle of nowhere. Um, there's there's no signage at all. Is it in a strip mall? No, yeah. it's no, right it's a, on a corner by a train station by the uh, Staten Island Railroad. Yeah, no signage at all, and it just looks like an old man cop bar. Kind of. I mean, it's oh, just that's it's, my favorite vibe. Yeah, just really cheap drinks, uh, sports on the TV really hasn't been updated in decades and then they have this really amazing pizza um extremely thin crust but it really holds up yeah it's like thin but almost it's cracker like it's very i was gonna say sturdy is it it crackery it's very crackery yeah it's similar to uh new jersey style i was gonna say this sounds yeah yeah it's very i mean yeah it's basically the same style I'm 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 maybe a little quiet yeah sean's a little quiet in the headphones um yeah, I know the Jersey style with like a, like it, the crust doesn't necessarily have much chew, 
but not yeah. in a bad not, way. No, it's not chewy. It's more... But it's not like a frozen pizza where like right. the crust is super thin and yeah, basically a cracker. I, it's 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 like as if the crust of a frozen pizza were actually precious. a good thing. Yeah. 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 I grew up on... on Jersey Shore pizza, Mac and Mancos was was our family favorite, and that that it sounds like it's in that ballpark. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they're pretty. I mean, Staten Island's a shore town. It's basically Jersey. It's basically Jersey. So is the Staten Island? Th- that's the Staten Island thing, the thin crust. But Danino's, Danino's, and Lee's were actually pretty, yeah, they were very different. Lee's is very Lee's is kind of the only one on Staten Island, at least that I know of, that does that style. The rest of the favorite spots on Staten Island, Danino's. Um, uh, Joe, and Pats. Joe and Pat's Nunzios. Um, I think Joe and Pat's is the next one I've got to hit. That's more like your classic big floppy slice, right? Um, that's where I was going to go with the because I thought maybe slices would be in order because we were yeah. in a bit of a hurry. Though, uh, the, but then when when it was just me, I was like, all right, I'm doing Lee's. The slice I do prefer is at Nunzios, which is in New Dorp. Um, I've I've heard of Nunzios for like years. Yeah, New I mean Dorp? it's. New Dorp. It's a uh, neighborhood in Staten Island. New Dorp? New Dorp. <laughs> New Dorp. How do you spell that? Just keep saying it. It's, spell, it's, it's spelled how you think it's spelled. D-O-R-P? Okay. D-O-R-P. Or D-O-R-P-E? Right. No, no E. Just just Dorp. Just Dorp. It's not Dorp. Or D-O-O-R-P. <laughs> that would be Dutch. I think it is actually Dutch. Probably. Maybe. Is Who knows? He, uh, well, so is Manhattan. I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Or is that yeah, yeah. no? Is that no, no. Manhattan's Native American. Native American. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Brooklyn is Dutch. Yes. Gotcha. So Manhattan is actually the Woker Borough, if you think about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, um, yeah. The rest of the stuff on Staten Island is not like, yeah. The Lee's is kind of its own. It's like this kind of New Jersey thing. Yeah. I was reading today. I haven't been yet, but this is going to be a stop soon. There's a place. A Brazilian pizza place in Newark. Do you know about this? That's one? a thing. This I don't. That's this thing. I don't know about you. This is a thing. I have completely heard about about Brazilian pizza. It's I've like never it's heard like of this. there's like it seems to be that a lot of the mid tier pizza places here, like the like the places that 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 are just like your neighborhood pizza joint. Are Brazilian owned? It's like a thing. I don't know. But is it like a specific style? Or? No, no. But but it just seems to be that there's a lot of Brazilian people that go into the pizza business. Yeah this this one is supposedly they're doing the pizza in the Italian tradition, but then they're putting Brazilian meat topping on it? toppings on it. Just meat. Big yeah, just, meat and meat. just three steaks spread. What are the Brazilian Blood sausage with a pizza base. Yeah, yeah. Um, what is the Brazilian cuisine like? Meat. Meat. And, and Just like, meat. Yeah. Well, that's like Brazilian, like, uh, you know, like white Brazilian cuisine. Right. There's also yeah. like a lot of amazing Afro-Caribbean. Yeah, yeah. There's all that, right. which is great. There's a lot of like uh, indigenous, like, I mean, the fruits they have in Brazil are fucking crazy. Um, yeah. And vegetables and everything. So there's all sorts of like, you know. Things that you obviously can't get. Yeah, here, but like very specific to the region. Yeah, but like Brazilian, like upper class, like it's the same as Argentina. It's the same as yeah, yeah, just big, just big slabs of meat, potatoes, yeah, meat, more meat, meat, meat. And There's a meat. Detroit style pizza place that opened down the street from me, and it's fucking incredible. It's I like am partial some to some of it. the best pizza I've ever had. I l- absolutely love Detroit pizza, and if anyone wants to make fun about it 
fun of it being trendy, then I am going to be angry. No, it is finally trendy. <laughs> I've seen. I love Detroit it's, pizza, it's but it's just, just a lot of shit talk. It's finally making its way outside of Michigan. I actually, I actually ran by that place in Midtown the other the day. Tigers or whatever. Yeah, else. yeah. That one's okay. It's it was fine. fine. It was no buddies, but you know what is. What yeah. is is right. I think there's there's a Jets nearby there. Really? Now, yeah, there's a Jets that opened in Manhattan. Whoa. And, I think there's one it's, and it's in, actually in Jets? It's actually Jets. Oh. It's not like, it's not somebody trying to do Michigan style pizza in the, I mean, it is the Michigan style pizza place. In and New it's York. not like, it's not like, like when Defar is opened in Williamsburg and everyone. I haven't rest. been yet, so I can't. I thought you had. Verify that. No, I haven't. I haven't gone yet. Cause I, it opened right after I spend most of my summers in Michigan where I was eating like the in the near the lake house where I stay there's really very very few restaurants you would eat at and Jets is one of the only <laughs> maybe the only place that I would get food from in the immediate area of oh, the lake wow. house so we ate a lot of Jets in the summer and then came back to New York and Jets opened here so it really was pretty low on the right, list yeah I'll get I'll get uh, maybe I'll get <clears throat> A hankering for that around March or so. But you've tried the Defara at Williamsburg, right? Yeah. Uh, Derek Pleslico and I were scanning one of the delivery apps. I think the fancy one, Caviar. And we were like, holy shit, we can get Defara delivered to the house. $50 delivery. It was, it was, it was insanely expensive. Even after some coupon we had, but we were like, whatever we can sit, we can sit at home and watch TV and eventually someone's going to come and bring us Defara's pizza. This, right. this is amazing. We'll we'll pay a premium for this. And it showed up and um lies, lies. I'm a, lies. I'm a long-term Defara's fan. I mean, I love that place. I love the people who work there. I've been there more times than I can count. And I don't know if it was just an off day or what, but this pizza was just not Defara's pizza. As I know that it, that sucks. It was what a disappointment. Yeah, and it really wasn't. I mean, I've heard that Defaro's pizza. pizza isn't Defaro's pizza anymore either. So, Do we have some gumshoe reporting on this, Brian. Do you have some? I've uh, been there. Date? I've been. I was there when Derek was in town last. So that was that was just a couple months ago. It wasn't. It wasn't that long ago. And uh, we went and had a great experience at Defaro's. Um, but, but Dom was, Dom was not cooking. Uh, his son is cooking now, Dom Jr. Dom fair now. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> fuck hospital pizza. <laughs> but it was still. I thought it was still very very good. I, I I I've been there a bunch of times now when Dom wasn't cooking, and it seems. I don't know. It still seems legit to me. Okay. Good. Good. That's good to know. Yeah. It hasn't, but I don't. I don't understand why, with just the one, other one in Williamsburg that's so close. Like I said, maybe they were just having an off day, but it was so disappointing that I don't. I mean, if anybody else, any of your listeners, I, I, I've heard people corroborate yeah. that. Other, yeah, okay. I've heard. I've heard. Okay, nothing. it's not just me. I haven't really investigated. I have not heard any. We were. Reports. We were pretty. We were pretty heartbroken. So the next time Derek was in town. Uh, was actually when I had this car for the first time I was borrowing it and we were like, fuck it, we're we're driving down to Tafara. Still worth it, but there's, I mean, there's so much, I feel like there's so much... Uh, Competition now? Well, there's there's so many people who who have, are kind of standing on the shoulders of what, Tafara, like they, people who worship Tafara's who've opened their own places. There's a lot of that. Like most of the new 
fancy pizza places that opened in New York are worshiping Defara sure. on some level. For sure. So, do you think Ops? Ops is great. I think. Yeah. I think the the square pie at Ops is very similar to the square pie at Defara. It's mm-hmm. not. It's not dissimilar. Yeah. But they they definitely, you know, maybe they're not. It's not like Defara copycat, but I think they're influenced by it, appreciate it. Yeah. I mean, any good pizzeria, new pizzeria in New York is gonna gonna feel that 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 influence. That's yeah. You can't get away from that influence. Yeah. That's. But Ops Ops is a very good. That's like I that's one techno, of my favorite places to go and sit. Never and heard of Jeff Mills record. Sorry. <laughs> But it used to be like that, right? Like before, it's, it's, before it's true, it's true. Before the internet and before everybody knew, like or thought they knew everything about everything, like you, you know, people didn't really know about Tafaris, or not everybody, or not everybody opening a pizzeria. Whereas now they're all. It's it, you have to like study the list and go and taste all these places. Tafaris has been known like it's been a while. It's yeah. been a while, but there was a point when yeah, yeah, yeah. Before everyone had a f- their own food blog. Yeah, you know. And there's, I mean, what has happened to New York pizza now? It's, I mean, I know I've had this discussion with all of you. Um, the hollow, hollowing out of the middle. Yeah, where it's like you're either it's either a ninety nine cent slice shop, and I generally fucking hate those places. It's just like you. It's bad. It's, it's yeah. Slop. It's, yeah, you need. It takes more than ninety nine cents. Yeah, yeah. And then on the other end of it, you've got all these places that are so fucking fancy and pretentious in a way 475 for a slice yeah which i I mean i you know i can appreciate a good slice but it's just it i feel like it used to be everything or almost everything was in the middle where the slice costs about what a subway ride cost and maybe it wasn't going to blow your mind it wasn't going to be organic locally sourced ingredients but it was going to be solid it's gonna be good and gonna fill you up and it was and it just felt like it was everywhere like i, I when when i first i got to new york in 97 and i feel like at that point i would just i don't i didn't even know the names of the pizza places that i went yeah to. yeah it was just like oh that one on the corner yeah. there. It's, it's weird i feel um i lived in fort green for like five years and while i was there i lived next to a great slice shop Luigi's, Luigi's. on decalb yep. and um but before that, I had always like, oh yeah, like there's just a good slice around Everywhere. for two fifty or whatever. Like that was just normal. And it seems like over the time that I lived, like when I moved out of Fort Greene, I didn't expect to like not ever be able to find a good slice. You, yeah, you that's just assume relatively reasonably priced, like close to my apartment. And I just yeah. haven't yet. I'm not, I moved a couple times, and I've never had like. And before that, it was just like every apartment I've ever lived in New York, I was close to a good slice That's for not expensive. Same thing happened to me. I lived in Greenpoint. Even I was in Jersey City for a couple of years. I had a great slice shop around the corner. Um, and then a couple different places in Williamsburg, just surrounded by great places. And then four years ago, I moved to Broadway Myrtle. And we just we don't have shit over there. That's, have, that is a pizza pizza desert over there. Yeah, for sure. you have you have that Nor- exact you zone. have Norberts, which is I've had decent slices there, but it's insanely inconsistent. And I've had the last time I went there, it was so terrible that I just I don't know if I can go back. That's like our and they have really uh, inconsistent hours that make that aren't posted to make no sense. Um, and then we have 
Archie's, which is I actually really like Archie's, but it's 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 not a New York. It's not like yeah, Archie's the, is Midwest pizza. Yeah, or it's it's like Greek. It's it is very similar to because I grew up in a part of Connecticut where there's a lot of Greek pizza. Hmm. Um, that's what it seems like to me. Halfway yeah. between here and New Haven, it's Greek pizza country. Who hmm. thought? Who knew? Well, I, 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 I'm I'm just gonna state for the record that I'm the only non-New Yorker in this group, mm-hmm. and this is exactly what I imagine New Yorkers talk about. <laughs> <laughs> it's like they get together, they talk day. about pizza, and they're like, "That pizza used to be great. Now this pizza is great." <laughs> Pretty much. Pretty much. Is there a San Francisco equivalent? Um, burritos? I guess burritos, but that even that is like it's is not what it used to be. It stays the same I mean, though, kind of. After though, right? Nate Silver blew up a uh, lot of yeah, Korea, that kind of just like fucking ruined the conversation. But now you have the the sort of like underground real head San Franciscans who know that La Taqueria is not the best burrito in the city, and and we laugh at at all the tourists that fucking line up outside the place but see what you got to do day. is you got to like guard the knowledge right because you course. can't you, let you yes. can't anymore you, it's just good luck well, you could well, true I mean, there is no more guarding any knowledge because all knowledge is like just pure imminence oh, i love this <laughs> well this yeah, is we could we could we could really jump from this yeah statement <laughs> uh, the, the, the beria truck on roosevelt opened in august and it's already topping like best cheap eats in yeah, the city yeah, on right. like multiple food blogs. It's just it's it took two months for it to be right. like really well known Quesa and talked Beardia? about. And that's a that's just a truck. Yeah, Quesa, taco. Quesa, I mean, there is they are really really good tacos. Yeah, that shit's popping off here. But it here it, it it just took bag. it took no time at all, and they didn't they didn't they didn't hire a publicist or have some social media campaign or a fancy logo or anything. They just they just popped up in an area where there's a lot of taco trucks serving a really great style of taco that's not being served in New York. And yeah, I mean that it it just took no time for that information to get out. Well, people just like weirdly have a lot of time. A lot of people like work tech jobs that mean nothing, but they have a lot of time on their hands. So they just oh yeah, chase. companies where nothing really matters, but everybody's getting paid really well. Yeah, and so you have time I to want just one of those chase jobs. around. Yeah, get good. one of those jobs, dude. Those seem the best. Podcasting. You just take off as much time as you're like, yeah, I gotta, I'm gonna go travel Sorry, for five yeah. weeks, and they're like, yeah, gotta go on a Beria tour. Sorry, yeah. Yeah, totally. And then you come back and you quit your job and open well, a Viria truck after your your uh, research <laughs> trip. So yeah, just you've do that. The, you've got the story right now. Yeah, already. Like, I'll invest in that truck. Famous, just do that. Famous DJ Sean O'Sullivan leaves it all behind and <laughs> start. You know, I I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about music. What? Uh, what? I know. I know. I know. Uh, but mm-hmm. I want to talk to Brian about the fact that his party is turning 17 fucking years old. Woo. That's that it is crazy. That's crazy. It might be. That's like probably that's be 17 actually, when this comes out. That's actually insane. Did you think that you would be here 17 years later, still throwing parties when no, you, when I'm, you started the I, I definitely wasn't thinking that far ahead, but I, sure. I mean, I just, at the time I'd had, I, there were a bunch of parties that I did that came before 
the bunker, the longest running one being Undercity, which I did from like 99 to 2003. So right up until the, I think it overlapped with the bunker a tiny bit. Okay. Uh, but I had various other DJ residency happy hour parties that had a name, some of which I probably can't even remember. And it really just felt like I was starting another one of those. Huh. Uh, at the time, that's just how DJ gigs kind of yeah. worked in New York. You would get a certain night of the week at a certain venue. and Or more likely a certain random dive bar or something. Yeah, yeah. By venue, yeah. They were pretty much all dive bars at that time. And that was, you know, it was your responsibility. The people who ran the bar didn't really care or in any way involved in if you were having guest DJs or how you were promoting it. And you got 10% of the bar, right? Yeah, it was just your, it was just your job to get people there. Actually, when I started the bunker, we got a flat fee of a hundred dollars a week. And then eventually they, That's eventually they moved us up That's to a bar percentage and we started making more money and we were like, Whoa. Uh, but I remember we would take, we would take that hundred dollars and, I think almost half of it went into printing flyers because we printed flyers every month. <laughs> so, and if you were, how did this go? If you were a local DJ, you got $20. And if you were from, if you were a domestic, if you were a US DJ, you got $30. And if you came from Europe, you got $40. <laughs> That's basically And then, and then Chris and I, uh, time blind, do I started the party with, we would split the remaining eight dollars twenty dollars <laughs> and go to rosario's and get pizza probably barely actually at that time it probably covered our pizza yeah it covered our pizza that's good and we living were, and we were drinking for free but we definitely weren't even making enough money off of it to buy our records but no to answer your question i just i really did not you know i i think i would have given it a different name i would have i i, I wasn't thinking uh long term that just yeah it just for whatever reason this one stuck or it came around in a time in my life where i could make something stick and then and then it just i don't know it just developed it just kept going was there a point when you started to think about it more long term not necessarily long term but after the first uh year i got I was working for DJ Olive and James Healy running their label, The Agriculture, and they just couldn't afford to pay me anymore. So that job ended, but because I was laid off, I was able to collect unemployment. And at that point, I'd been doing the bunker for just over a year. And it wasn't really generating money, but I just thought, well, if I, for the next six months while I collect this unemployment, instead of looking for a job, I'm just going to focus all my energy on this party and see what happens. And lo and behold, at the end of the six months, I was, I mean, it was still barely generating money, but it was generating enough to pay uh, my rent in a South Williamsburg loft, which was $500 a month. Uh, I never went out to eat. I never took a taxi. Um, I think I just pretty much spent my money on making flyers for the party, <laughs> my rent and groceries. And yeah, that's just, that's how I lived for, for many years, just with the party barely paying for me to survive in this kind of, uh, situation where you have four or so people living in a, in a loft, mm. not paying a lot of rent. 
the party started at Subtonic, right? Started at Subtonic in 2003 <clears throat> and stayed there until 2007 when right. the venue closed. <clears throat> I was I was wondering if there was a, a venue prior to to Subtonic. Nope that was that was it. There was another party that was happening on Friday nights there before the bunker, and then it became the bunker and stayed there until the venue closed. Uh, it closed in 2007, and at some point. I mean, I've I've told this story so many times, but it, at some point, a few months before the whole venue closed, uh, our party was raided by the task force, like where they come in and just, you know, everybody who can write you a ticket in New York City is there and they just write you all the tickets. Oh God. And after doing my party there for four plus years, that was the night that I discovered that Subtonic was in like no way a legal venue like wow. the upstairs the upstairs tonic was fully you know legal and licensed and the downstairs was just it was the basement it wasn't it wasn't really a gathering place uh i don't think the bar really had a liquor license uh so they wow. just came in and they were just like what are you doing down here like how how are you doing this on the Lower East Side of Manhattan? Like you all thought this was okay, and it was like, well, yeah. we, you know, we got away with it for. I mean, the venue existed for three years before the bunker, so yeah. I mean, it was like seven years before that situation finally. That's crazy. Got busted. Wow. I mean, it had. We, there was this big proper fire exit in the back, and the. I mean, it felt. It didn't feel unsafe, but I guess it was just. Yeah, never Very licensed. unsafe. Oops. Oh my God. How have you kept momentum up over the years? Like what, like I, I imagine I'm not, I'm not a bunker, like a, like an expert, but from looking at your bookings over the years, it feels like there are different, there have been like different stages of the party, like almost like different, like it's like, it's like lived all these different lives. Does that sound right? Yeah. In a way. I mean, I think if like in terms of what, kind of music we were doing at the party i feel like it shifted who i was work like it's always been my like i've been the primary person producing the events but i've had different residents with different viewpoints over the years um different venues that worked better for different kinds of music or setups like at tonic we had this essentially jazz experimental club upstairs and as the bunker grew and became more popular and we got more sound downstairs uh the the people who owned the venue didn't really know what was going on because they were never there at night they just just like it was they just thought we were playing music as a lounge for people to hang out in before they went to the show upstairs (laughs) and so they were they started they were booking these really quiet midnight shows and sometimes they would come downstairs and be like, hey, it's really quiet up there. We need to turn the volume down. And for a while that was fine mm-hmm. because it was me and Time Blind and like 10 of our friends. And we were just like, cool, we'll just play ambient music for the next hour. I remember there was a turning point. I don't know when it was, but they they came down from upstairs and they're like, there's a really quiet show. And I went upstairs and there were like 10 people upstairs. And we had like, we was packed. There were 200 people and it was a raging party downstairs. And just like, <laughs> sorry, at this point we win. Like, <laughs> you know, that's, you shouldn't. So anyways, we started booking um, gang gang dance and people from animal collective and all these social registry bands that I, I hadn't thought about in a long time, like ghost exits, um, which Sybil reminded me of recently. She played, yeah, yeah. she played the yeah. record. 
at Weird Science this weekend. Big, and big, big, big ups, Ivan. Yeah. <laughs> and if you're uh, there was a Jaw Division record on that label. I think they played at the bunker once. Where's like a bunch of people from Oneida and other Brooklyn bands doing dub reggae versions right, of Jaw right. Division songs. Right, I remember that. But there was there was just this whole uh that whole scene happening and I think around that time uh, I was working with Clever Vice, who was working at Kim's, and I had worked at Kim's. So just working at Kim's, we knew all these people who were in these bands who were playing mostly really shitty punk rock venues with terrible sound. So there, there, anyways, there was this whole era of the bunker where we were booking bands to play upstairs at midnight so they would be loud enough that it wouldn't matter that we were playing techno downstairs. And we were trying to cross-pollinate those scenes where we would allow people to go between the events so that was like a whole era that i feel is maybe quite different than what, when you look at where it's at now what years was that like two, that was probably 2003 five? to five ish yeah. when we were doing the shows upstairs mm-hmm. i don't think i went to any of the ones where you had the shows upstairs but i went to a handful of the nights downstairs in subtonic and i remember being very like idm leaning back then yeah there was i mean it didn't really start it's interesting because Timeblind is this Midwest techno legend. Yeah. And wh- at the time we started the party, I was like, I was getting super, super into techno at that time. It was mostly the music I was buying and listening to. But we started it as not a party where we didn't play techno records, but it wasn't supposed to be a techno party. Just techno. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was supposed to be way more eclectic. And it was way more eclectic. Also, because uh, you couldn't just do a techno party in yeah perhaps i mean we just had we were just bringing in our friends to play and we had friends who played all different kinds of music and i feel like i was really enjoying it and there were a few uh i don't know core fans who were enjoying it but for the most part i felt like i had all these i was talking to people who were showing up and they were like well i was here last week and there was this really great house music and then the next week there was two-step and now there's drum and bass and now there's hip-hop. It was just kind of something different every week and we really liked that. But I feel like at least it, maybe that would work better now. But at that time, it, I think we were having a really hard time like finding an audience who would commit to coming to a party every week when the music was so right. inconsistent. I mean, to us, it was always really good, but we were super all over the place. So eventually it did become more focused on techno because for me it's always been about bit like finding my community and making friends is I, I mean I think that's why I started the party and once we started I think it was around the time that Derek Platz like oh came on board as a resident that we were just like all right we're just gonna do like, techno. mostly play techno now we're gonna bring in guests who do this and that's when I started making a lot of friends and it really picked up steam and the community really seemed to gel uh, around this more consistent sound. And then we when, just... When, 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 did, when like, did that switch occur? I, th- I think it was around 2005 or six. I mean, w- by the time Derek came on board officially as a resident, it had already been pretty techno for a while right but that just kind of it's like okay if it's going to be me and Derek playing records every week like this is this is what we do this is it's it's going to be techno when do you think the latest or the current iteration started was that kind of along the same time that you started the label 
I think, yeah, the the label grew. Well, I, I kind of always wanted to do a record label, but after working at the agriculture from 2000 to 2004 and seeing how poorly that went and how I was so passionate about the music that those guys were coming up with to put out and just the response was so bad. The record sales yeah. were so bad. It was just such a, and I was like my job to do all the accounting and just, it just seemed dismal. And I was like, man, I, I always thought my, my job would be to run my own record label and that's what I would do with my life. But after that, uh, I started doing events and that just seemed way more, it's like, wow, I can, it's more fun. I can build a community and there's actually like, I can maybe make enough money to support myself. I don't think that ever would have worked with a record label. But anyways, I think the most current era is when I started the record label because the idea for the label was to create um, to create headliners for my own party that were really closely affiliated with the Bunker brand mm. because mm. we were getting, we started getting requests to do party, you know, bring the Bunker to other cities mm. and um, the promoters and clubs always wanted their, they wanted headliners and they didn't really consider us as resident DJs headliners. They wanted the parties like our parties in New York. And I just thought if we're going to start presenting the bunker in other cities, it would be much cooler if we had our own headliners, like people who are making music for the label. And I was just surrounded by all these people feeding me amazing music. So I did that and I'm still ke- I'm keeping at it. It's six years later and I've put out 40 releases. But ironically, it felt like shortly after I did that, all of my resident DJs were suddenly doing quite well, especially Servito. And the people, the artists who were making music for the label, aside from the ones who are already really well known, like Voices from the Lake and Adam TM, I don't know, the promoters that were booking the bunker in other cities for the most part weren't interested in those artists. so it didn't really turn out the way I expected it to, but we are still doing the bunker in a lot of other cities and that's exciting. And I feel like the party in New York now, we certainly bring in guests who are not directly affiliated with the bunker, but it's really, if you look at the lineups, they're by and large made up of bunker resident DJs and label artists. Yeah. That's, that's a, that's a rare thing in this day and age to, to really kind of hold it down internally. Yeah, I mean, it just, after years of doing this and seeing how much energy I put into these bookings and how much uh, like promotion it can be and how helpful it can be for someone's career to play these events and be affiliated, I just really wanted to circle the wagons a little bit and just focus on the people I mean, the label artists are mostly people who are big fans of the bunker and coming to the party. And a lot of them had become very close friends. And those are the people whose music I wanted to champion and get out into the world. I mean, that's usually how good things actually happen. It's like, oh, my my friends are doing cool stuff. Let's let's do something. Yeah. Instead of I mean, I very specifically when I started the record label, I could have easily hit up people like Marcel Detman and Dembeck sure, Stare yeah. and all these people, <clears throat> like very famous people who were playing the party and they would have made a record for me. And I did that with some people like Donato and Adam TM. But for the most part, the records are all 
from mostly unknown artists before I put out their music who are just Friends part of and, the community yeah. and people who like I had a really I had like 10 or so people in my head when I started the label people who I'm just like oh my god they're making amazing music and nobody's putting it out or I know they could make amazing music if somebody just kicked them in the ass and told them they would pay to put the record out <laughs> so that's just uh that's just what it became well, there's a lot of like labels especially in the past I don't know 10 years that seem more just like vanity projects where like someone's just putting out records from a lot of artists they like but I feel like the labels that really have staying power are the ones that represent a community and represent yeah. like a cohesive like scene of people who all know each other they all kind of work together they're from the same sort of place or at least the same like milieu or whatever yeah um and so like something like the bunker that really kind of like grows this i don't know yeah this like group of people that feels like a solid group um yeah i think i mean those are kind of few and far between i think yeah i mean even to the point of like i i saw i watched a lot of labels and what they were doing and like another a really common thing for a party starting a label would be put out your own music or one of your residents music is often not very good and then get some like all-star remixers like multiple oh, yeah, all-star right. like that was a big classic, thing. classic i was move. just like we're not it took me a long time before we did any remixes because i was just anti remix the remix for... seems to be kind of dead now right oh i thought it won't die. no i don't think so you don't like think... um not really no dead no wata's remix of um aurora halal completely blew the fuck up right yeah, I've been seeing that on some year-end lists and things. Hmm. I don't think they're totally dead. I mean, the the first remix dead, record... Dead Dead might be an overstatement, but like, whatever, like four or five years ago. and Right, it was like standard practice. Industry like you standard, had to do it. every other record had one or two remixes. Yeah, and if you put out a <laughs> hit record, which, I mean, maybe there just really aren't many... Records. I mean, like what's the, the if you package. sell 400 copies and you've got a hit on your hand then you have a bunch of people remix it and you put i mean i remember that from you know collecting oh yeah techno yeah, records sure, yeah. in the 90s and the o's it's just like there'd be a big record and then a couple months later you know the remix the remixes package. and yeah. then maybe a second remix package yeah, and then totally. a 10-year retrospective let's bring, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> let's bring that back seriously first let's make the hit which you know we will definitely do that I'm never making a hit. You again. and I got to hit a hundred thousand streams on YouTube to be a hit. <laughs> is, that, is that what it takes? now? I don't know. I mean, sounds yeah. maybe we've been talking about the further reductions record on the bunker for Ooh. quite a while now. <laughs> we want to do something. We're going to do something special. But going- we want to do like what we imagine further reductions on the bunker would sound like. So it's like a special interpretation, you know? Yeah. It's not just, it's not just the whatever what thing you've. Yeah, it's not the thing that we the... serve up live typically because. Some random, random fart sounds and. Well, no. I just want to put a little more. Like, not to say that I don't put effort into whatever I do. I just haven't had a lot of time to focus on music, but I'm trying to put that a little more into perspective. Like, we're going to we get some sp- recording done this month. Yeah, this month and next, hopefully. There was good stuff in the set y'all did at elsewhere i don't know i don't remember when that was the oh and uh, uh knockdown. Was, maybe was it an anniversary party oh wait the, the elsewhere one from like uh last year or something yeah i we, think so i might think have recorded you played something and abby i think played in that room yeah yeah, yeah. jane fitz yeah 
I think that was, I can't remember if that was an anniversary or not. Elsewhere feels like so long ago. Do I have parties at Elsewhere, but I don't think it, I don't think it was actually that long ago. Holy shit. Yeah. I it was early 2018. Yeah, yeah so I remember. It was, it was like February ago. or March I remember 2018. All. It wasn't even 2017. It was 2018. Really? Yeah. I remember like almost ago. missing so the- long um, ago that we were doing stuff there. I remember almost missing my set there for the anniversary due to a plane being delayed for like three days. Right. Um, three days? Where were you? I was in Paris. Oh, that's weird though. Yeah. I mean- it got Oh, was it a strike situation? No, 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 no. It was okay. weather- the flight got canceled and then they but they like my this is i, I was platinum status at the time and for some reason that what didn't, happened did it dip no, nothing happened because it didn't kick in i had to like they were like hey your flight's been canceled we'll rebook you on the on like the soonest one i was like okay finally this platinum status is gonna like do something for me because it's in this moment and then i called them and they were like oh yeah, you fell through the cracks, I guess. So um, we don't have you on any flight. There's a flight in two days with like a five-hour layover in Barcelona. Oh, and I was like, okay. And they're like, you're going to have to pay extra for it, though. <laughs> what? And That's like, what you call platinum? That's platinum, baby. Yeah, you've got to go diamond. Otherwise, you're nothing. It's nothing. It's not worth anything. Uh, turns out the airlines like to fuck you over uh, regardless of the game regardless of you playing their games or not is that is that it you really have to go diamond is, is that, that diamonds above no platinum? i was i mean i'm just joking but it mm-hmm. i guess it i mean it i think aside oh no let's not even get into all yeah this. let's <laughs> this could go yeah this could eat up the rest <laughs> of the podcast and be extremely boring for everybody but i will say that one time uh chris and i were on tour together in europe and we played in like london Berghain. i think there were maybe three gigs and the like the, the entire I, I feel like we talked about airplane delta status the entire tour like it's- every <laughs> meal sitting around the airport we just is just it's a brain disease <laughs> yeah. it's like kids you don't let your friends become DJs because they're only going to talk about fucking flight status and it's going to be in airports yeah and it's going to be terrible yeah. I, I uh, you become the least interesting person. I I'm gonna change this, I'm gonna change yeah, the subject change it. again. Yeah. I saw a really interesting tweet from Shigeto today. I thought you weren't on you uh, weren't on Twitter. Yeah, get your facts straight, buddy. I saw, I saw I the truth fucking, comes out. <laughs> you have a secret Clark Twitter. Price posted it on Facebook, so <laughs> not it on was, Twitter, uh, just just a Facebook fan over here. Yeah, just Facebook <laughs> with all the he's just on Facebook with all the moms. Chris is at, <laughs> Chris yeah. is actually frozen reads on Twitter. <laughs> Dude, that's my style. But but okay, it, it was a tweet from Shigeto, and it was like I forget the wording, but it was like, uh, there is no right way. If like if if you're in music or any creative industry, there is no right way to do anything, and there is no wrong way to do anything. All the rules are 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 completely gone out the window. The only wrong thing is to not do anything. And I thought that was pretty interesting. And that feels like it's where beautiful. we have been at in music and art in general for the past couple of years. Like all the rules that we thought worked or 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 all the rules that we thought the system operated according to have gone out the fucking window. 
The only rule that you have to do is make sure your brand is like on point. On fleek, I thought. Yeah, it was on fleek. Keep Sorry. those hashtags tight. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I, it's. I mean, is that just because there's no? I mean, if there's no way to make money as a musician, then. Well, yeah, yeah, I mean, of that, course, that, there's no. That might be part of it, but 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 sort of implicit in his in his tweet was the like all that we thought was possible is no longer possible. And that also means that anything is possible. Nothing is true. Everything is permissible. Is that essentially? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I th- that was not my initial reading of the, 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 the tweet. Uh, I'm just hearing it now from you. Um, mm-hmm. but I do like that reading. That's, yeah. that's, that's definitely a more interesting reading than my, my initial, uh, that's definitely, that definitely aligns with how we think about music at this point. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, like, okay, well this isn't working, so let's just make it work for us. And what works right. for us is not it's just being creative. caring about all right. the other things. Yeah. Just doing whatever you want to do. Yeah. And yeah. who cares anymore? I, I can anymore. say the, like the most interesting music I get from people for the, li- from like my artist for the label is for people who just don't give a shit about a music career for one reason or another. Like a lot of them just because they have a day job, they're not trying to make a living from it. They're just uh, like people who are making music just because they feel like they have to, it's just this pure expression. It's this thing they, they need to do. And they, and then when somebody's making a record and trying to get me to put it out because they're they think it's going to lead to gigs like a lot of times the music just sounds like that and it's it's terrible yeah i think um this is maybe like initially not too related but i I wanted to this sort of reminds me of some conversations that i've had a lot recently where um I, i feel like a lot of uh Twitter or social media lately is just kind of moaning about uh, artists getting paid and how to make Spotify pay artists fairly or whatever. Um, yeah, lots of weird, like, arcane technocratic fixes to, like, just what is a fundamentally broken system. Yeah, exactly. And I think, like, th- it's, sort th- of- it's so much easier. Like, A, we're never going to solve a way to pay artists fairly. So, like, let's just, for- if we just forget that, um, it actually like the goal here is not to pay artists fairly at least in my mind that's not that shouldn't be the goal of any sort of music system it should be to allow everyone the ability to like express themselves musically and so you know the answer being not like paying artists fully but just having everyone have a pretty like you know, standard and, and pretty comfortable life, regardless of what they Decom- do. Decommodified the basic necessities of life. This exactly. is a political problem and not, not a kind of infrastructural, like, kind of... And it's through that, whatever. because the because the music, like, y- y- you don't have to have a music career to have a music career. I mean, you, you, you're not tied to anything to make your living. You, you just kind of have a, a decent life doing, you know, whatever. You're, you collect garbage, you know. 30 hours a week or whatever but but you you kind of do uh you, you know you still have all the ability to express yourself musically and everyone has the ability to also like tune in and and pay attention i think that's also um that also i think it's because we're getting a glimpse of that that you start to see this sort of opening up of music to being a bit more liberated a bit more like the rules are all off because well, yeah, there are no rules, but I think we should maybe keep pushing in that direction and really like 
I don't know. I mean, it, as a musician, it seems like, yeah, it seems to me that the goal for musicians really like, and, and the way a musician can really like allow themselves to express themselves fully um, is not through any sort of like magic button of getting paid for your work, but rather just not having to worry about that in the first place. Yeah. Not even have to consider uh, whether or not you get paid. I mean, I I think you're right, Chris, but like, I think in the meantime, I think we should embrace, well, there's, there, there, there are two wolves inside of me and this sounds pretty one, cool already. <laughs> one <laughs> sounds like you've all, sure. yeah, you've almost got a there good are shirt. Two wolves. Inside <laughs> <of me. laughs> um, one says that everything is shit, and the other says that everything's possible. So I'm, I'm trying to be the everything's possible guy. I think both statements are true. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, 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 yeah. But I think I think yeah. Chris going going by your your kind of like earlier definition there of like kind of like the goal of music should be for people to express themselves musically. And through that yeah. lens, like we're actually in an incredible moment where, yeah. you know, like, yeah. like, like SoundCloud, uh, much more importantly, Bandcamp, like give people uh, incredible tools to just put whatever they want out there and people can just access it. Um, yeah. Brian, do you find that something like Bandcamp allows you as like a label owner to like put out music that give you a little more like to put out records that you maybe couldn't sell to a distributor or something i i mean i have to sell some to distributors but i will say that bandcamp and the way the revenue works on bandcamp has been essential to me being able to justify operating the record label because if i was just giving everything we you know we have amazing digital distribution and vinyl distribution around the world but if i was just relying on the money we got back from that it would be really hard to break even so it's really like the um we do these very limited pressings of colored vinyl that you can only buy from our band camp so that pushes a lot of collector so, so the the, the 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 limited edition technique still works. It on, I mean, we're talking on 50, 50 to hundred copies, but still, like me getting, and I've got a me getting the full retail yeah, price yeah. for those records minus Bandcamp and PayPal's small cuts. I mean, it adds up, but still, compared to what the distros take, it's it's nothing. Um, and also, the digital sales on Bandcamp now we seem to. At most of the recent releases I looked at, we make more. There's more money coming in for each release digitally through Bandcamp than digitally the rest of the internet combined. That that makes sense. So it's so I guess in a sense it allow like I always have just kind of put out whatever I've wanted, and for the most part it's worked. And I think given how few records sell these days, and how few people are willing to pay anything. For digital music, uh, without the Bandcamp model, I just I think I would have given up by now because it would just be financially impossible to keep it going. I think for me with buying vinyl is that often I don't really like know that the release exists until like I want you know, and then it's too late and the vinyl's sold out because it's like three hundred copies or whatever. That always bums me out. Yeah, that seems to be the case. Like either if you put out a record, it's either going to sell 15 copies or it's going to be or it's fucking hot. It's like 
it seems tough to do the middle ground these days. It's like you either have a record that everybody wants or more likely you have a record that nobody wants. Hmm. I, I I mean, that's always sort of been true, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I guess that's always been the case. It it, 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 it just feels more pointed, I guess, because because the the, Sales the are numbers are basically smaller and... than they've yeah. ever been. So it's like... Yeah, and it's it's really we were talking about this earlier before the show. It's really hard to at least for me it's always been very challenging to know exactly how many records to press. Um because the way this music is a lot of times by the time you would do a repress, it's already like it's no longer a hot record, even if it's really good. Yeah. And even if it's sold out really fast and people wanted it, like it can be hard to sell those represses. So you want to get that first pressing just right and it's so and you're really just i mean for me it's with some guidance from my distributors and from myself but really it's just well it's basically my two distributors and me and we're i mean we're all just it's an it's an educated guess but it's just a guess yeah and then we press that many records and you hope you hope they sell Mm -hmm. i would be i'm i'm curious like all of us on this podcast are industry veterans slash old farts, but I'm oh, pretty intrigued by the way that like music communities are springing up digitally or, or like the way that that people build community these days, especially young people and the way that it sort of coalesces around uh, around digital releases being made quickly and being released quickly is like really fascinating to me. I've been seeing that in the Bay area where like young crews get their start doing East Bay renegades. And then within the span of a year, all the artists they've been working with are on this like sort of digital compilation. And it's like, it's an, it's a, it's, it's such a compressed sort of timeline that it really kind of, impresses me and it's an and and i kind of see that as a new phenomenon in the way that that um music is kind of coalescing around different communities but a lot of these communities they do exist like in the real world right i mean sure right exactly like i'm saying they 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 start in the real world like it might be like a party or an event series and then all of a sudden they they sort of keep that momentum going with like a digital release or some kind of some kind of online aspect to it Mm -hmm. yeah it's a digital release because if they were to do that the old school way and then what would it it would be that you know there's people putting out something it would be like an eight an eight vinyl box set (laughs) right that would bankrupt three people to put it out (laughs) and take like three years to get i mean it's so yeah, <laughs> yeah when to you, sell to sell 80 when you copies. do things <laughs> digitally hopefully you're getting it mastered properly and that doesn't take very long and then you're putting it up and i do know that a lot of people are not getting their shit mastered properly so that's like my main advice when people people come to me for label advice all the time especially people wanting to start these digital Bandcamp labels and i'm like for the love of god like get it just pay the money and get it mastering even if that means you just break even or don't break even like especially if you're if you're making music that you intend people to play over huge sound systems you should really get that shit mastered yes i agree and that's really your only what then you you know you have artwork 
and then you throw it up on Bandcamp. It's what was the uh, the like auto mastering uh, app that was uh, being oh god labels. Minder? There's I know some vinyl labels that use that. Really? It's, yeah, I'm not gonna name names, but it's <laughs> name names, <laughs> name names. <laughs> Damn. No way. <laughs> but it's a it's a that's a thing, and that's it's a, super a, a dark. A lot of people are masked like they get your tech out of my techno. Yeah, they're pretty much um, emailing their track to an algorithm and getting it back quote-unquote mastered sick as someone who like all the music i make i'm the only one to hear it until like maybe a label owner hears it but other than that like no one has heard this music yet um to the mastering step seems so obvious to me because i'm like right i need someone else to hear this fucking song oh yeah, yeah. yeah. i need it's someone not, that else. doesn't have that emotional attachment to it and yeah. i need someone to just be like yep it's fine like this is like it, they i just need the thumbs up like this can yeah know, this doesn't sound like dog shit because you know after you've been working on something for a little bit you you're pretty Your sure it sounds terrible yeah fatigued yeah. yeah um but it's just like that critical part of the step and yeah i think people forget or just don't know or maybe if you're not a musician it's easy to overlook but they think it's just a purely technical thing um when like it's kind of I mean, and i guess it seems it but it's like such a human step you know yeah totally totally i mean like ideally you know like certainly back you know back in the band days when you had a band you would have someone mix your record for you and then someone else would master it. And having the two different sets of ears was always yeah. super important. And this is um, weird because people <clears throat> give other techno artists shit for having someone else like mix their stuff, you know? Yeah, or having a producer or yeah. I mean it's like that's yeah, that's that's always seemed kind of strange to me. Well it's 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 weird the idea that one person uh, not only could but should do everything. Yeah, yeah and it's not yeah. legit if they don't. Right. They're not. They're not a legitimate artist if they. Right. If they had some help realizing their vision and they or they could afford to bring other people on board. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if, if if anyone else touches it before the mastering stage, some for some reason, this you're not a real musician. Or yeah, something. and I think I th- I'd see that think this is especially problematic for. Um, women in the music scene totally. i see a lot of the criticism really unfairly you know oh she used a ghost producer she can't people are just always i don't know trying to knock women down for this this kind of thing yeah you know, for not completely producing their own work or pointing out like you know very specific parts in a podcast or a boiler room set where they feel there was a beat crash or something and just i mean it's really yeah, it's, it's really it's really it's really terrible how focused this kind of thing yeah. seems to be on dudes online suck yeah as it turns <laughs> they, out they, they, as yeah. they might sucks. they might suck in real life too they probably just a, yeah. just a thought even worse <laughs> online <laughs> yeah, yeah well, the, the, are... the blanket of anonymity is strong stuff yeah so brian what's next for the bunker when is uh the bunker going to be completely uh AI soundtrack when 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 do we get this Mike Servito neural network up and running um I don't know someone someone's gonna have to help me with all that stuff I mean it's just gonna keep on like it it always feels like a very organic progression to me the way the party uh CZ was talking about how it's you know it's gone through these different iterations over the years 
And I think that will keep happening because it's just a reflection of where I'm at and where all the people in my community who are feeding me music and the residents at my party, like where everybody's at. So it's just kind of this thing. Do you see anything interesting sort of on the horizon? Do you see like a shift or just a, just, just like a next stage or I I, guess, yeah, maybe you can't see that until it's already happened. I think it's, yeah, I think it's hard to, to really predict those things. I think they just, I mean, if you're not trying to force it to happen, which I don't think I, I'm just kind of trying to provide this at this point, provide this container for the artists and DJs who I care about, who are part of the bunker to, do their thing and see what happens, see who shows up, see where that takes us. Cool. I love it. I love what you got going. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, like, I mean, it, it, it's admirable. Yeah. Probably doesn't go without saying, so I'll, I'll say it, but yeah, it's, it's crazy that you have managed to run this for 17 years. Like, that's yeah and yeah i mean it blows it blows my mind and i still i don't take it for granted and i don't assume that i'm gonna just keep doing this i'm just i just feel like i've just been riding it as long as i can um people often ask how i do it and it's just like this is my life this is what i this is what i spend like all my time and energy and thoughts on is this bunker project and it's also like the all the like pretty much all the money i've ever made goes like immediately immediately goes back into the bunker you know if i have if there's a really successful event and a bunch of money lands in my bank account it just it like immediately goes to the pressing plant it immediately goes as deposits for the next events like that's just it's like i'm never really super comfortable it's just um, I think that's an interesting sort of unspoken aspect to, especially like our quote unquote underground scene, the amount of time and the amount of money that it takes to really make something work on the scale that you've, that you've done is really beyond most people's imagination. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you, you, really... you can't have, you can't have a side job. You can't have another no, job and do it the way right. you're doing it. It's no, it's, it's really, it, it does blow my mind how often I'm still to this day with like almost everybody I meet for the first time. It's one of their first questions is like, what is your, you know, what are you doing for your day job? What are you doing for money? Like it couldn't possibly be the bunker. Like that makes, and it's like, well, that's, I mean, I'm not a wealthy person person but i've managed to get by just by but it's literally taken all the energy time and resources i've had for 17 years like i don't have this other side thing that i'm you know that this is this is pretty much it your secret uh tech industry career or something yeah yeah, also not going to name names, but there's a lot of that too in techno. <laughs> yeah. People, people who you yeah. know. But I mean, I think for the most part, God bless them. But people who made their made a lot of money doing something else, or have you talked about trust fund kids on this podcast? Never, <laughs> never, not I once. Have have we maybe haven't like totally? 
Anyways, I, I think that's... <laughs> it's, it's true. Maybe we it, haven't. I hear a lot of, like, hate towards that kind of, like, people who are got wealthy from some other means. Either they earned money somewhere else or their parents gave them a bunch of money and, like, how dare they come into underground music and, you know, use their resources to promote it or promote themselves. I mean, look, I guess it's... I mean, I guess it's better than if they just, like, actually just went and worked for McKinsey, you know? Like... I guess it's better that they do other shit. I think it's shit, better. You know? I mean, if they're if they can if they can help, it's almost like um, artist grants in a way. If somebody somebody who has a lot of money takes interest in you and wants to release your music or promote you or make you part of their thing, yeah. I mean, I, I I suppose there 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 are some kind of like invisible kind of lines here that we as artists kind of establish and i guess like you know like historically uh you know it's not it's it's not been unusual for particularly like underground music labels to have been founded by people who had trust funds or lucrative careers elsewhere yeah yeah um so that 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 does feel almost more like a strictly kind of patronage model um uh i do think like in more recent years there has been a huge shift towards um, you know, essentially trust fund kids building out careers for themselves in these in these niche fields, and you know, um, I, I do I do think that like broadly speaking, like underground music, we invest ourselves in these underground cultures as sort of a partial bul- partial bulwark against commodification. So you know, in essence, it's 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 a way for these communities to um, set up their own kind of. Uh, you know, kind of, um, kind of internal ethical economies uh, that exist outside of you know, kind of capitalism, or not not not, not right. outside of, but sort of uh, yeah. these kind of partially detached. It's yeah. it's it's it, it's means of partial decommodification. Um, so you know, yeah, when 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 trust fund kids come in and they, you know, sort of make careers and sort of hyper commodify what like you know a bunch of poor fucked up artists were working on for a long time putting their money and life into uh, that does suck yeah i guess it's i guess it's more it's where you put your money and i was thinking more maybe about people who start a label or start a club versus yeah maybe like an untalented hack who manages to you know by their way into a career as a the RA top DJ. one thousands looking real then, cool these days. But then, the, but then the jokes on them, right? Because they have to be a DJ. <laughs> Hell yeah! Like, you did it. I hope you like airports. <laughs> That's the true black pill. Yeah, Damn. but yeah, it's like it's like cause it's weird. Yeah, I mean, because like feudalism's back. Like everyone's talking about, oh, the thing that's going to save music and save artists is like your patronage. Patreon, yeah. and you know. Mm. By the way, join the Patreon. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, it's like I don't fucking like feudalism. I think it's a yeah. shit system, like uh, politically, and I think I I don't want it really to play a part in my musical life either. So it's like, yeah, I mean, I I don't know wanted to try and do something outside of that but yeah it's tough why haven't you opened a venue yet brian is that next 
That's a serious no. question. Buddy. New I York mean, real I, estate, I mean, baby. No, yeah. lo- no losing. <laughs> I'm asked that all the time, and it's just... Uh, I think it's... I feel like I would just be spread too thin. There's, yeah, yeah. there's so yeah. much I'm doing with the events and the label and the agency um, and the podcast, and that's all... I mean, for a long time, that was all me. For the past few years, that's been me and my colleague, Michelle, just keeping that all running. And the thought... Well, I mean, there there was a time where I thought maybe a venue might be a good idea. Um, But if I were to do that now, I think not. I think New York is insanely oversaturated with venues and events at the moment. So the idea of putting all my resources and energy into opening yet another space and hoping that works it just doesn't i don't know it just doesn't seem like i I think i've always tried to do things that it seems like like contribute the best way i can to this right music scene in new york and that just there might have been a time when opening a venue would have been really helpful but i didn't even remotely have the resources to make it or knowledge to make it happen at the time and now Mm -hmm. like now where maybe something like like that could be possible like i mean look at the resident advisor listings for events in new york on friday and saturday and tell me if you think the city needs another (laughs) full-time electronic music venue i mean it's a very very crowded field yeah no i mean i i think it seems like it's 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 definitely at capacity right now. Yeah, which is, like, I mean, by the way, it's it's great, and I love so many of these venues, and unlike a lot of promoters, I actually do enjoy doing things in legal, licensed venues with nice sound and everything there, um, and I, I guess I'm old enough and have been doing this long enough now that I remember a time where we always had to bring in our own sound and... And everything was just an uphill battle. You mean like, like three years ago? Yeah, like yeah, like really until, I mean, I know people didn't really like Output, but when Output opened in Brooklyn, that was like yeah. the first real venue in Brooklyn that was dedicated to dance music in my, in I mean, in my like 20 years here. That was just, that was... It's I mean, kind of crazy because it, it was crazy to it think felt about. like such a big deal, and it really was at the time. But now there's a new venue opening in Brooklyn yeah. every couple months. There's clubs that have opened and closed already that I never went to. Yeah, like four, that. Four, four. Like if you told me five years ago there would be techno venues that opened and closed in New York before I had a chance to go, I'd be like, no way, that's impossible. That's impossible. But that's that's completely possible now. But I, I mean. I love going into places like nowadays and market hotel and public records and good room. And I mean, it's just incredible to me that we have all these rooms now where you could go in as a DJ or a promoter. I know a lot of, not not a lot of promoters have the opportunity to go into these venues. And I'm pretty privileged in that sense because I've been around and doing this for so long. Um, But that's, it's, it's a pretty incredible thing where the, this scene is at in New York right now and how much opportunity there is for everybody and how much is going on and how many gigs there are for people like I've I I never 
like you asked me earlier if I could imagine the bunker still being here in 17 years and I, I, I couldn't have, but I like, I never, ever, ever in my wildest dreams could have imagined back then when we were one of the only techno parties in New York in a tiny basement for like 150 people at most that there, that the scene would be at the level it's at mm-hmm. right now. I mean, it was hard to imagine even five years ago, but like 17 years ago, yeah. just no way. <laughs> like it didn't, I mean, we weren't even thinking in terms of scene because there barely, there barely was a scene. It was just a couple like parties at dive bars at that point. Yeah. It's really strange to me how techno, I mean, this is old news to all of us, but like techno is now at uh, at the at the Tomorrowland stage. And it's like, and even in American festivals, like there's this festival called Crossed in San Diego um, that is basically like a Coachella light or it pretty much has been. And like th- the lineup for Crossed next year in late 2020, fucking Dax J is on it. And I'm just like, what? That's that's just so weird to me. Sick. Yeah, techno is really no longer underground music. It's not at all. It's I mean, just it's, it's just... like it's the if you're gonna try to be some kind of musician and you're between the ages of I don't know twenty and thirty five, like what? I and mean, what make, else are you, you gonna do? Techno. You know, I was it's for some reason it was a big moment for me. Sybil playing that Ghost Records ghost exits record at uh, weird science because i was chatting with her about this where it's just like man remember when everybody just was they, in a band they wanted to be people wanted to start bands and they weren't necessarily starting a band because they thought it was going to be some big thing that broke out they were just like that's what weirdos did in brooklyn yeah. they just formed a band and like maybe got a record out or something before they stopped existing and everybody it's just like everybody wasn't trying to be a dj techno producer where it just feels like now i mean not everyone but it just seems like the over it's it's, absolutely it used to when i i guess when i got to new york like indie rock and that kind of music was the dominant i was gonna say the musical form and now now it's it's totally flipped yeah like who's techno absolutely fills the role that indie rock did 10 15 years yeah absolutely yeah and Um, i i never i didn't i mean maybe we talked about something like that happening but i don't think i actually believed that that was Certainly when I started doing this, that did not seem like the direction it, things were it, going. That did not seem possible seemed until, inconceivable, like, until yeah. three, three, four years ago, four year, four, five maybe, where it was like, oh, oh, this is actually going to happen now. Yeah. Um, I do think there is something about, well, like, like, like for one, like, obviously, like, you can't tour as a band anymore. So I think, like, a lot of, a lot of the collapse of the band is due to just, like, you know. Why can't you tour as a band anymore? Well, like I mean, like because there's not enough happening to get wait, like, 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 well, well for, it's just for, so for one, just the over the overhead to... is the overhead is super high. Exactly, the yeah. overhead is super high, and record and record and merch sales are down. Yeah, and you so, can't like, bring all of your fucking gear because I mean, I'm sorry, but your modular system is not you know the same as a band. Well, like a band yeah. has to bring like fucking well, yeah, if you're bringing drums, all and this amps crazy and shit, yeah, yeah, no. and, it and it's to... also five people or whatever, you know. Like, it used to be that artists were promoting a record yes and all the money not all the money but most of the money they were going to make was from record sales yeah you made you so made, the gigs were just a thing you did 
to promote the record and tickets to the gigs were really cheap and hopefully you would sell merch and it was all about selling records and now nobody sells records and it's all about making money for the gigs (laughs) and everything like it to go see a band you like or to go see a dj you like everything's so expensive now because the whole thing is flipped yeah, and nobody's paying for records. The only way that anybody's making it's all money absorbed is from by the events. By, by the alcohol industry. So. Yeah, um, the records just like a round gig flyer, basically. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but 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 I do think there is something maybe worth exploring a little bit as far as like the uh, kind of the, the figure of the DJ as being uniquely suited to navigating you know kind of neoliberal social media hellscape. Um, you know this like this individual as brand. Uh, this like like you know like highly exportable uh, you know um, and uh, well you know like techno is 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 also like an exportable sound in that like you know it's something that you can play in a lot of different uh, in in a wide variety of these like these commercial contexts um, yeah it can it can sound good in a club or on a festival basically stage anywhere yeah, yeah or a festival stage you don't really need much region it's not regional really anymore right um yeah especially like the kind of techno we're talking about which i guess people are have decided to call business techno but um love it yeah i'm um, still not clear on what business techno is <laughs> i don't know no, no really. i think it was just a joke that got out of it hand. seems like what it seems like the term hipster like everybody Everybody calls someone like I couldn't possibly be a hipster, but that person's a hipster. <laughs> I just, yeah. you know, like, business but techno. you're like you're all fucking hipsters. You're business techno, and everybody's like, I'm not business techno. You're That's business, business techno. techno, but like, really, all you motherfuckers are business techno. <laughs> <laughs> all are right? Like, what is it? Where is that? Stop! Stop trying to hide. <laughs> you're all fucking business techno. It's true. If you got a gig in 2020. Your business techno. <laughs> yeah. So, so everybody. <laughs>